All right, the question is, are you someone who endures? No matter how bad the situation is that you are in, are you taken down or are you, you able to stand? Or, to, or do you, in difficult situations, too easily adopt a victim mindset? And then in this victim mindset, often what happens is if you remain a victim long enough, you get angry enough at what's happened to you, you get angry enough at the world, and what you then begin to do is become the villain without realizing it. And you have justified it in your mind of why you have just become the villain. And what that means is that the enemy, the evil, has still prevailed over you. You have changed and not so much for the better. So, Kale, my son, my first grader, he is a fierce friend to his friends. He is tender and he is compassionate and he's wise. And there's been someone in his school that's been giving him a little bit of a hard time, not big stuff, but, you know, kid stuff. But for him, it feels really big. It feels like this kid is his enemy. It's his greatest enemy. And I was listening to Elise, my wife, talked to him about what's happening, and he was talking like about staying home from school because he just didn't want to go anymore. And Elise said, well, let me talk to your teacher. And I said, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. So here's, here's what could happen. She could talk to his teacher, and then his teacher could handle it for him. And that story can continue on and on and on. And he never learns how to step out of this victim mindset where he is controlled by someone who is doing something to him that's upsetting him. So I start talking with him and working through this with him about what he could do. And it's really hard because we start exploring like some of his options. And, uh, and it's really hard to figure out, like, how do you not remain a victim to this kid who's in your class, but how do you not become a villain to this kid? So I said, well, why don't you do this? We couldn't figure it out. I said, why don't you do this? Just talk to your friends. See if he's doing it to any of your other friends, and then maybe you guys form a plan. So I send him off to school, and then after I drop him off, I'm like, wait, hold on, what did I just do? Like, I don't know what his friends are like. Maybe one of his friends is like Darth Vader, and they're going to like want to destroy this other kid, and then you know what just happens is now he becomes a villain. And so it's really difficult to figure this out. Like, how do you not remain a victim, and how do you not become a villain in the process? Because if you're a victim, you're really angry about what's happened. And I started thinking about Jesus and, and, and how he handles people. And if you look, like, we, we don't really know how he handled it when he was Kale's age, but we could look at him, and he, Jesus was a fighter. But he didn't fight with his fists, he fought with his words. And he always fought for those who have become victims of the religious elite. And he was always fighting these religious elite. And he always did it with his words, and he was fierce with his words. You didn't want to mess with Jesus in his words. And he fought sin and death on the cross. And it looks as if he's become a victim, but he never adopts a victim's mindset upon the cross, and he never becomes a villain upon the cross. He's always fighting for people, yet never becoming a victim or a villain. And so... How do we do this? And how do we face our enemies, however big or small they might be? And how do we make sure we don't turn into villains ourselves? Because we could very easily lose ourselves as we face the people who are against us. 
and it's much harder than you realize. So we're in this series called Playlist, The Road Home, and here's what's been happening. We've been walking through Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, and these are beautiful psalms that were meant to be sung by God's people as they would take pilgrimages to the city of Jerusalem, the city of peace, and then they'd go up to the top of Mount Zion, and there they would worship God. And this was a playlist or a set list of songs that they would sing. And the song that we look at today is a song of God's people reflecting on how they, they always prevailed. They always persevered, no matter how fierce the enemy was that was against them. And so we're going to be in Psalm 129. And you look at the Jewish people today. They've been through the Holocaust and they've endured. I mean, it's incredible what they have been through and what they've been able to endure. So how do they get that? What's the mindset that they have? Well, we're going to try to figure it out today, and it's in Psalm 129. It starts off with the title, A Song of Ascents. Ascents is the technical term for pilgrimage. So Psalm 129, A Song of Ascents. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers have plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Let them be like grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms. Nor do those who pass by say, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Now, I don't know if you know what a furrow is, but a furrow is something that a plow, it's a a deep cut in the earth that a plow would make there. So, So the picture is of these animals that are pulling a plow behind them and causing these deep cuts in the earth so that there could be a planting done and then eventually a harvest. Now, look at who is being plowed. It's the Israelites. So God, God's people are literally having these deep wounds cut into their back, and the enemies of God are making those wounds for the good of the enemies. In other words, they're looking at God's people and they're saying, we can do whatever we want to them, and it will be for our gain. So let's use them so that we could do good, so we could get good, so we can get what we want. They want something, and enemies always want something, and they're always seeming to be willing to do whatever it takes to get what they want. So lesson one, people are capable of doing this to you. This is not an ancient problem. We have modern day slavery. We have sex trafficking. We have children who are literally taken away from their families to become child soldiers. And then you think of the Holocaust, but not just the Holocaust. Everything that was happening around the Holocaust in that area during that time period, the 20th century was one of the most brutal centuries that there has ever been. There's common thinking that, oh, you know, humanity is evolving into something more loving. Well, it doesn't look that way when you look at the 20th century. It looks like we're de-evolving or whatever that word is. When people want something, they will do pretty much anything to get what they want. And it's very rare for you to find people in your life who are for you who see you do well and are happy for you when, they, when you do well. Because people are jealous. And everybody's seeking to get the things that they want. 
And when they don't get it and they see someone else chasing what they want, oh, I mean, that is like a deep cut in their heart. And so they become against you, even though they might be your friends. It's very rare to find people in your life who are for you. That's what we're hoping our discipleship groups are, who are fighting for you to become what you're chasing to become in a good way, like what God wants you to become. So watch people. Learn what they want, and you will notice that they often will use you to get what they want. Now, I don't want to turn you into somebody who's constantly thinking all the time people are taking advantage of you, even though they might be, because I want you to know this also. People often don't realize they're doing it. So lesson one is people are capable of doing this to you, of using you. But lesson two, you are capable of doing that very same thing to others. In fact, what I would argue and what the Bible seems to be arguing is stop worrying about the speck that's in your own eye, or someone else's eye, and worry about the log that is in your own. In other words, yes, people might be using you, but look at how you are looking at other people. You look at people in your life, and they don't really matter that much until you realize, oh, they can help me with something that I want, and all of a sudden, they become like a friend of yours. And this is, become, this is more like a business relationship, like, oh, I can get something from you. You're of use to me, so let me invest in a friendship with you. We're not, we are capable of doing that very thing. So what we need to start doing is to stop looking at people that way because when we do, it's like we're, plow, we're putting these deep wounds in their back in order to get something from them because we think they can give us something. And the right posture is to say, okay, let's say someone, you can, you can tell someone's using you. you. Say, okay, wait, stop. You do not let people take advantage of you. However, you have to realize the way people are, and you just say to your friend, you say to your coworker, whatever, you say, stop. What do you want, and how can I help you? And, and what you're doing here is, is you're, you are being forced to decide, is Christ really enough for you? Are you actually content in who he is and what he's done for you? Is he enough? And if he is enough, then you have something to offer people who don't feel like they have enough. And so you live in such a way that says, no, you're not going to take advantage of me. I will not let you wound me. However, let me help you get what you're chasing after. And you become a, an example to them about what it's like to be content in Christ. Now, when it says, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, this is speaking about Israel. Israel is being personified as a person. Now, let me tell you what this is about. This is looking back, likely, at Israel's time as slaves in Egypt. So this ancient pharaoh king of Egypt looked at this group of God's people called the Israelites, and they were having a lot of babies, and they were growing in Egypt. And the pharaoh started becoming threatened by, him, by them, so pharaoh enslaved them. And used them to get good stuff for Egypt. Lesson three, there will always be a pharaoh in your life. The pharaoh represents the snake in the Garden of Eden. In fact, when Moses wrote Genesis 1, 2, and 3, in, three, in, in, in chapter 3 we see the snake show up. And the Israelites immediately would have thought of the pharaoh when they read about the snake. Why? Because Moses is writing to them. Why would they think of a pharaoh? Because the pharaoh would have had a crown upon his head. And upon that crown was a snake. So that snake that slithers up in the garden is representing Pharaoh, this, this king. 
that was enslaving God's people. The trickster snake. Now, I want you to understand this. The culture in Egypt, likely the people were justifying what Pharaoh was doing to God's people. They saw the atrocities that were being done. Now, I want you to see, they were also enslaved by the Pharaoh in a different way. The same way that we become enslaved by our culture. Culture is a powerful tool. It can be used for good or for bad. And often when you look in the history of the Bible, the culture is opposed to the ways of God. So we ask this question. How in the world did people allow the Holocaust to happen? They were in a culture. They didn't realize what was growing in front of them. They were being changed very slowly, manipulated to become something. How in the world did the Jewish people not see what was happening to them? Very slow shifts in the culture. How in the world did American Christians and pastors have slaves? The culture. We are often blinded by the culture that we are in. We don't realize the sins that are before us. So what you have to learn to do is test the culture that you are in with the culture of heaven. And the lens through which you do that is the Bible. Now, now what starts happening is, okay, you might start seeing problems around you. And you start blaming the culture, like it's too big for you to do anything. Well, now you're becoming like the Egyptians, seeing the atrocities that are happening. And what's going on is you have wants in your life, and they're big. You've got some goals, and you're chasing them for you and your family, the success. But the, the problem is you are so focused in on that that you are blind to the sins of the culture of your day. And there's injustice happening around you, but you're not paying any attention to it because you have your wants that are greater than the wants of God and the greater than the wants of God's people. So we got to learn to test our culture. And, and we, we can't blame the culture because that's similar to like telling the teacher what's happening without actually doing anything. Will you stand against injustice and not let the culture prevail over you. Because if you do not stand up against the injustice, then you have become a slave to that culture as well. Only now you are the villain, not the victim. And you don't even realize it's happening to you. Will you learn to spot the issues of the culture and stand up against what is wrong? And will you stand up against the snake? So how do you prevail? Because I'm talking about something much bigger than you standing up to your friend who might be using you a little bit, who standing up to your boss who's taking advantage of you. I'm talking about standing up to the archetypal evil, the snake, and enduring. And we're having a hard enough time enduring our friends who we feel like maybe are using us, or our coworkers who are using us, or our bosses who are using us or spouses who are taking advantage of us, or whatever it might be. But this is talking about the archetypal enemy, the snake. So how are you going to become strong enough to stand up to the snake that is digging wounds into your back? How do you not adopt a victim mindset or then become the villain? So, lesson four. In order to endure, you have to believe that God fights for you. Your ability... To not let evil prevail 
has to do with your belief or your faith of God's righteousness that he will cut the cords of the wicked, turn them back in shame. So what's happening is the wicked are plowing on your backs, creating these deep wounds, making you a victim. And God cuts the cords, turns them back in shame. The picture is you being made strong in him. Now the Pharaoh would not let God's people go. So God rains down fire upon him. All of the Egyptians. And our first gut reaction is, why wouldn't he just rain fire down upon Pharaoh? Why does it have to be all the Egyptians too? Well, because they, they, they were watching as it all happened. They stood by and did nothing. Every single one of us are called to stand up against injustice. The Egyptians were caught up into the culture of the snake. So the question is, how are you being passive? How am I being passive? How are we all being passive and not realizing it? And, and, and likely what's happening to you right now is you've got these images in your mind of things that like you've been fighting for. You want people to start changing their ways. And you're like, yeah, finally, David, you're saying something about this. But what I'm telling you is that there's, there are injustices that you are blind to, too. If you are on the left, politically, you are blind to some injustices. If you are on the right, you are blind to some injustices. You have to read the Bible through the lens of the Bible and learn to see the way God sees things. And in order to do this, you, we have to come together in unity as God's people and listen to each other. Because it is a very bad thing for you to do to think that you have got all figured out. And if finally somebody in, in this world would just come up to you and ask you, hey, we've been trying to figure out like this, this peace in the world thing. Like, I think you can do this. Just tell us what to do and we'll follow everything you say. Don't be so arrogant and so prideful as to think that you can be the one to solve the world's problems. But if all of us together, with the mind of Christ, come together, this is the, this is the church. This is what the church is meant to be. Not an individual, but all of us challenging each other about what is right and then talking and continuing to talk to do the hard work of figuring out what justice looks like in the world and then fighting for it. And that requires a lot more unity than the church in America has today. But this text is more about us being victims. So how do you do, how, what, what do you do when you have been run over? How do you prevail? How do you endure when you are being used by someone in your life? Because we're all victims. We're in a world that has fallen. It's an evil world. If you don't see yourself as a victim in some ways, potentially you're a villain. I don't know. So how do we prevail? You have to look at what God has done for you. This is what this whole psalm is about. The Israelites are looking back at how they have prevailed throughout history over and over and over again. And the way that they did this was by seeing that God fought for them. Here's what I want to ask you. Have you seen how God has fought for you specifically? Like, have you really? Do you think God is on your side? Do you think he's really fighting for you? 
Because if you don't, you will fall into a victim mindset or a villain mindset. Because if you're a victim and you don't see anybody fighting for you, you will have no choice if you want to get out of that victim mindset to become a villain. Because you think you're all alone. You think no one's got your side. No one's got your back. And so slowly, like what happens to the culture, is you begin to turn into a villain. Whenever we do an infant baptism here, or a dedication, whatever you want to call it, I'll say something usually to the child. Now, the child has no idea what I'm saying to them, but that's okay, because it's like us as a church, we're making a promise to this kid. And I usually say something like this, for you, young one, Jesus Christ has come, and he has fought, and he has fought with sin, he's fought with sin and with death and with corruption. He's fought against the curse, and he was swallowed up by it all, but there in the pits of hell, he kept fighting, and he broke up out of it and rose and gave you that same strength. And then I say to this little one, you don't know this yet, but we're going to keep telling you this for the rest of your life. But do you know it? Like, have you come to the place where you actually believe that's true, that in the death and resurrection, that was Christ fighting for you? Victims will feel alone and like they can't win. And when you realize you're taking on pure evil, like, there's so much more at play than what you realize. So Paul's trying to get at in Ephesians 6. Like, there's, there, are, there is a present darkness that is after you, and you have no idea. And if you'll realize that, you're going to realize that the evil is too big for you. But you have a God who is much bigger than the evil. But you have to get to the point to where you don't think you can handle it. And then you got to get to the point and go further than that where you say, I know I can't handle this. This is the exact opposite of what self-help books are trying to tell you. Self-help books say, believe in yourself. Christianity is saying, you fool. Do you know what you're up against? You need help. Go to God. He'll fight for you. And he has. And he won't stop. And so then you realize God is on your side and he lifts you up in his resurrection. He picks you up and he says, now let's fight together. And he gives you the strength that is within him to fight. And so when you give up fighting, you become a better fighter. And you also endure evil and injustice that's been done to you when you realize that God is the God of justice. Lesson five, believe that God's justice will prevail in the end. There's something about knowing that God is just and justice will be done at the end that makes you say, okay, I can endure this. I will not become a victim and I certainly won't become a villain because God's justice will be coming after me if I become a villain. And so... It gives you strength in the meantime. Our verses say, not only will our enemies be turned back in shame, but justice will rain down upon them. The psalmist actually utters a curse upon his enemies and says, let them be scorched like grass that is on the housetops. Let them be like the reapers who have nothing in their hands to show of all their work. Now, what the image is, is of people who were just like hurting you. 
However big or small it was, you had an enemy and you have an enemy. You've experienced it before. And those people that have hurt you, God cuts their cord, turns them back in shame, and then they become like grass that is thrown on the top of the house. And there's some seeds in this grass. And what will happen is, when, is the seeds will sprout into more grass, but they have no soil, and so they're scorched by the sun. And there's no blessing that's been given to them. Now, that reality is both comforting and it is terrifying because God is just, and you realize, wait, but I have done this to my friends. I've done this to people that I love. This curse, and, well, this is where Christ comes in, but before we go there, there's a really, this is very complicated. Wisdom is very complicated. Because what we're being told here is that, well, the psalmist is cursing them. But the problem is, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we're told to love our enemies. We're told to forgive. So how do you know when it's time to utter a curse on someone? And and this could be, in this context, this could be the wrong thing for the psalmist to be doing. Throughout the psalms, sometimes people are just expressing, like in a song, like, this is where I'm at, this is where I'm feeling, God. And God's like, yeah, I see where you are. That's not where I want you, though. So I'm going to change you now. But you've got to get real with God. And so the question is, is the psalmist getting real with God and saying, this is where I'm at and I'm uttering a curse on these enemies of mine? And is that the right thing or is it the wrong thing? Should the psalmist be forgiving them? Should the psalmist be loving them? Well, one sermon will not give you the answer to that. What will give you the answer is a lifetime of sermons and a lifetime of looking through your Bible to to become wise. But I will tell you this. In all things, love. You look at Christ. He's always fighting out of love. He fought injustice out of love. And if you will not learn to fight with love, you will become a villain. Or you will remain a victim. Or you're always just a bit of both. And so you look at your friends and you fight for them. Because that's what love is. You look at your family and you fight for them. And you look at people that have wounded you and you say, I got a decision to make here. Am I going to fight, with, fight for them or am I going to curse them? I guess it depends on how wrong of a thing that they've done to you. But you got to forgive them or else you will always be a slave to what they've done to you. It's very complicated. And the only way forward is to follow Christ and his example over a lifetime. And then you begin to learn how to handle things. And he is the one who has come into a world of evil. He could have left us. He could have left us in the curse and just said, curse them, be gone. But he doesn't. He seeks us out. We who have done evil. And he gives himself over to us who have done evil. And he becomes in a way a victim, but he never takes on the victim mindset. The whole time he is fighting for his people as he is being crucified. The whole time on the cross, sin has just been thrown upon him. He's absorbing the sin of you and me and all of humanity. He's absorbing the curse because he loves. He's enduring and he's fighting out of love. And there he's swallowed up into the pits of hell, into the pits of death, into the pits of corruption. And there he fights still and he breaks through the grave. For love. 
for you. He came the first time for peace. To offer us who have done wrong to our friends, wrong to our family, who have committed injustice. He came to give us peace. When he comes again, he will be coming on a war horse to take any injustice that was not satisfied by him on the cross and bring justice down upon all evil. And so turn and go to him. He either comes to you in peace or he comes to you on a war horse. Go to the, go to the God of peace. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give us the wisdom to know how to work these things out in our life. That these ideas would not remain abstract in our mind and in our heart, but in our groups with our friends, we would work out what it means for all of us to seek justice, to seek what is right. But also, God, I pray that you would give us the strength to endure the wounds that we have felt on our backs. But we would never forget to think about the wounds that were placed upon your back. By your stripes we are healed. And so help us hold on to those wounds that you received for our strength, for our healing, so that we might not remain victims, but we also might not become villains. But we might become people who have been wounded, but those wounds have taught us to love and to love others well, and to fight for them. God, we're too weak to do it without you, and so we come to you for strength. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.